welcome back, guys, to another episode of the Rick and Danny Show. Rick, how you doing? Living the dream, Danny. How are you? I'm doing well, too. Thank you. Thank you. You know what this uh, part of the episode is coming up here? This is our new uh, segment called Rick's Rants or Rick's Reactions, whatever you want to um, go go with. I'm well caffeinated thanks to Dunkin' Donuts. And Thank so you, Dunkin'. Let's, let's rock and roll. Do you want to tell a dad joke? Oh, thanks, Brenna. Oh, Darn man. It, Brenna. Let's make him feel uncomfortable. Darn it, Brenna. Pull out your book. Look it up. <laughs> Comes prepared with to make me angry, but he can't even get his dad We're going to we're gonna do... We're, we'll throw it in. We'll throw it in. Okay. Like, how about like when... Like now? No, no, no. We're, we're going to start our segment first. I'm not ready with it yet. <laughs> I'm ready it for... first. He's got to look it up while you rant. <laughs> Yeah, so back to the back to the segment of Rick's rant. You so, know I don't prepare. <laughs> I know you. No, I know okay. you don't prepare. No, what I'm saying is, like, come up with a dad joke. I off the cuff. Yeah, why not? <laughs> Shoot from the hip. Pow. <laughs> um, I was just told one, a Halloween joke. Okay. And I'm trying to trying to remember the punchline here. Ouch. <sighs> Can you Thanks. like insert Jeopardy music right now? Sure. Insert do, Jeopardy do, music. Do, I'm gonna get the punchline. Do, 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 I might just use that. That's beautiful. Do, 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 that is nice, do, Rick. Good job. Do, 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 Since I said Halloween, do, I gotta do, I gotta get do, it. Do 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 do. Dun, dun. That was really good. That was, <laughs> that was really you knew good. the whole thing. I That's mean, really Jeopardy. awesome. Uh, I'm going to cut Danny? that and just make that. All right. Your, what does your joke say? Answer. And how much did you wager? Um, sorry, you've been eliminated. <laughs> All right, Rick. This is appropriate. How do vampires get around during Halloween? How do they travel? I don't know. How do they travel? On blood vessels. Ah, that's pretty good. There we go. That's good. That's good. All right. That it was worth a lot the wait. Of, that fits a lot of criteria. There we go. Halloween in November, somewhat medically related. Yeah. That's good. How was, was your good. Halloween? Was it good? Yeah, we didn't do anything. Yeah. How was your Halloween? We didn't scare children? No. Did you scare children? Yeah, I just naturally. It doesn't have to be Halloween. I saw the kids' costumes; they were cute. Yeah, thank you. I just naturally yeah. scare children. What were? What did you guys dress up? We were Mario, Mario themed. So nice. I was Luigi. Ethel nice. was Mario. Uh, Ethan was Bowser, and Aria was Rosalina. Yeah. Nice. Nice. It's like yeah. So. Did you and good. Morgan dress up with the kids or? Uh no. Oh. As people were asking me what I was dressed up as, I was like angry suburban dad. <laughs> That's exactly what that's exactly what that's my good. cousin said when we were texting. Is that they sent us pictures of the kids in Georgia. My nephew was um, Maverick, okay. super cute. Mm-hmm. My niece was a unicorn. I don't know. Yeah, we we're like that's reasonable. Just, yeah, we we're like Justin. What are you? He's like a disgruntled suburban dad. Yeah. <laughs> I was like, nice. That's good. Nice. Yep. A, it turns out it's the role I was born to play. A couple of our friends dressed up as uh, Bruno. That, those were good costumes. My, like Bruno from the Encanto yeah. movie? Yeah. yeah. We, my my three-year-old is like yeah. knee-deep in that movie right now. Oh, yeah. He's like obsessed with it. It's a great movie. And so we keep having the The music watch. is good in that movie. We keep, yeah. we keep having to watch. Like he won't start at the beginning. He wants to start at the Bruno song. Mm-hmm. And then we just like, it has to <laughs> the start. the best song. 
Yeah, but it, like we start there, and then yeah. you'll like watch most of the rest of the movie. <laughs> but it's like, and so now his new one is we don't talk about daddy. No, no, no. And I'm like, thanks, He's buddy. He's living a little. That's thanks, nice. buddy. <laughs> Here, well, are you ready now, Rick? Sure, why not? Let's let's get into it. Okay. I'll be so how we do these but right. how we do these Rick we have a conversation aggressive. on a podcast. I'm not being open ended for him. Just being, you just you just get really just into it. Me. You just get really into it really fast. We just appreciate. We it. Yeah, we should have some like almost like uh, who wants to be a millionaire music. Dun, dun, dun. I okay. You know. I think my now that the was golf better. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, it wasn't dun, a good. Dun, dun. Now that the golf dun, dun, tournament's dun, dun. over, I, I have some more time to do some more graphics. Maybe finish some website pages I've been working on for yeah. 900 years. Just... I'm going to keep my mouth shut. Okay. Not a lot to do. So um, how this works is Rick does not know which topics I'm bringing up here. And uh, we're trying to get his reaction to the to the theme of each article that I'm presenting to right. him. And if it wasn't clear to the audience from our previous however many episodes, I do not prepare <laughs> and constantly shoot from the hip. So... But he has a strong opinion usually about yeah. about what we're talking about, as long as it's not a heme topic. Yeah, then I then I just don't even understand the words <laughs> you use. So the first one is right right down his alley here. Disparities in radiation exposure to the heart from whole breast radiation therapy is the title of this. Okay. So this was uh, published in the Journal of the National Cancer Institute just in August. And what they were, uh, I'll give the summary first and then we'll go over some of the details, is that they noted that both black or African-American women and Asian women receive significantly higher mean heart doses than white women in, in the study uh-huh. uh, when, when they were exposed to whole breast radiation. So how was this done? So they talk a little bit about the background of... Uh, it was like some Michigan consortium, right? Michigan consortium. Yeah, so this, this group so database. This group publishes yeah. this stuff all the time. Yeah. Well, see, I like you. We're getting his, his opinion off the bat here. So the mean heart dose was compared for Asian, black, and white women who were treated with whole breast radiation therapy at 25 institutions over uh, between 2012 and 2014. Uh, there was over 8,000 patients, 2% were Asian, 18% were black, 80% were white. So, I mean, just that breakdown alone, of course, we've had, uh, you know, very uh, few Asian uh, Americans represented in this study. Um, the black race was independently associated with a higher mean heart dose for women uh, with left-sided cancers receiving conventional fractionation um, and Asian women with left-sided cancers receiving an accelerated fractionation had a higher mean heart dose. Um, so their summary here was based on modeling higher heart cardiac dose would increase the number of, uh, number of events and deaths in black and Asian patients compared to white patients with an excess of 2.6 events and 1.3 deaths uh, in black patients and 0.7 events and 0.3 deaths in Asian patients. And so they were just bringing to the attention that there might be some disparities in um, toxicity of whole breast radiation therapy. What do you think about that? Well, I guess my main question is, so what is the hypothesis that the radiation doctors in Michigan are purposely treating black women poorly? Is that the hypothesis? Because that's it, pretty well, ridiculous. Yeah. No, it, 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 it's kind of a ridiculous article to get published about 
in the Dis- JNCI. <laughs> disparities about. This is what is being published in standard very radiation therapy. True. Yeah, right. Um, right. So, I mean, I don't know the details, but I would imagine they don't control for treatment um, modality in terms of what technology was used, mm-hmm. which delivery method of the technology was used, whether breath hold was used, whether prone was used, whether other techniques that we commonly use to spare the heart. We have no way to know if that was balanced across the right. sites. We don't know if their cancer types were balanced. Were there more medial tumors in the African-American group or more lateral tumors in the mm-hmm. Caucasian group? So basically, I mean, I, I just, unfortunately, you know, I appreciate people looking into healthcare disparities and it's very important that we do that. But to publish inflammatory articles like this, that what is the purpose of publishing this? I think mm-hmm. that's my question is just is, well to reach any conclusion that because again, the only logical conclusion from this is right. that what we look at the patient's race when we're determining, you know, I see if I'm treating someone who's African-American, I'm going to give more radiation to their heart. I mean, mm-hmm. that just doesn't make right logically that, that that's the only conclusion you can make from this study. Yeah. Which is I'll tell you their conclusion is teasing out the reasons for these differences across different populations is challenging. Yeah, because it's BS. Because it's BS. Okay. Yeah. Anyway. I get it. Yeah. I'll appreciate their hard work in trying to find these disparities. It's just unfortunate that this is the inflammatory stuff that's published. Well, I think the only thing to think about is, you know, is the disparity coming from because 25 different institutions, you know, there may be patients treated at some institutions that aren't getting the standard, you know, modalities of treatment. Not the modality, but, you know, using newer technology to spare toxicity. Absolutely. Right. But so if you that had that be, information right. and can make that right. conclusion, right. but without that information, the salacious headline here right. is to make the argument that what we're purposely mistreating African-American right. women, which is, I just find that appalling that that's what they yeah. seem to be trying to advertise with this study. I'm surprised at the publication in a, in a well-reputable journal and that um, you, you're looking at a, a big amount of patients, you know, over 8,000 patients. I think they needed many more than 8,000 patients to even make conclusions like this um, and have those details kind of ironed out in the study. Because, well, I mean, like, let's say you found out and you were like, oh, it turns out at the same center, African-American patients are less likely to get you know, IMRT versus not right. compared to at the same center, then that's a weird thing, right? Well, it has to be at the same. Yeah, right. Does that mean that, that, makes sense. Does that, mean right. that they have insurances that are less likely to pay for it? Or mm-hmm. does it mean the center is doing something, you know, nefarious? That Then that would be, to me, you at least have some granular data to make an observation and a hypothesis versus, I don't know. And what do you mean, just for the listeners, IMRT, what do you mean by that? So just different, more advanced ways to treat breast cancer you know for the longest time insurance companies and our own radiation society in their infinite wisdom that's an eye roll for those who aren't watching on um, video decided that they thought it was against the best interest of patients not to allow imrt to be used in breast cancer and despite the fact that data was coming out at pretty crazy rates including phase three data showing a benefit to um, toxicity outcomes so it's finally the pendulum is shifting now where the society after six years of this finally has taken that 
you know, recommendation off their list that it's okay to treat with advanced techniques because it's what we would all want for our family members. Mm -hmm. Um, so it's just, you're, 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 you're scratching a wound that unfortunately is, is there for me (laughs) on a lot of topics with, with my specialty. Well, thank you, Rick. That was a good, good, how's, good how's discussion. That, that was a good discussion. That was, a, that was, a, that was as nice as I could be. <laughs> All right. Well, I, I we'll needed to get one radiation topic in there. I needed to squeeze one well, in I'm there. fired up now. Fired what, up. Else you, what else you got for me? All right. Now we're going into surgery. Next topic is laparoscopic versus open surgery for low rectal cancer. All right. And the one-liner here is short-term results of a large randomized trial support the use of laparoscopic assisted surgery. Um, So this was um, a study that came out of China. It was a multi-center non-inferiority study, randomized trial involving over a thousand patients with locally advanced low-lying rectal cancers. Stage two and three, uh, patients were assigned two to one to laparoscopic surgery or open surgery. So what do you think? What do you think the results showed, Rick? Well, what's the, or the, what was the So what they were looking at here was um, rates of uh, complications. They had they have a few different. Let me see what their primary endpoint was. Give me one sec. Um, Yeah, they don't have enough follow up for their disease free and overall survival measurements. But this was more looking at um, rates of rates of complications. Yeah, man, I think. I mean, um, my guess would be it's going to show the laparoscopic has lower rates of complication. Yep. You're exactly right. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, I think these surgery studies are, I'm glad they do them. It's just very hard. How do you control for surgeon skill, right? Right. That's the hardest part. Yeah, they didn't say here, um, because it's multi-center. I'd have to look at the details. It's one of those things where it's like, if all yeah. the opens are being done at this center and all the laparoscopics are being done at, you know, another yeah. center. They did list here that the surgeons needed baseline to have performed more than 100 laparoscopic uh, procedures. Because I think that's so. the hardest thing is sometimes when you compare the yeah. newer robot and other surgery mm-hmm. techniques, you know, there's a learning curve. Right. And so right. it's hard to account for that. Um, so actually operative time was longer in laparoscopic versus open surgery. Um, statistically significant, it was longer by 15 minutes, which I don't know, you know, how much, I mean, anesthesia time, I guess, is the one thing to consider there. Uh, rates of intraoperative complications were similar between laparoscopic and open surgery. Um, rates of postoperative complications were similar uh, a little bit less in the laparoscopic group as far as an absolute percentage, 13 versus 17.2 percent, but was not statistically significant. The duration of post-surgical uh, analgesic use was shorter in the laparoscopic uh, surgery. Was not surprising. Uh, 45 hours versus 48 hours. That's kind of interesting measurement. <laughs> yeah, they just, I guess, looked at the IV. Right. use post-operative. You know, and the other thing too is interesting would be to know is what, so when you design a non-inferiority yeah. trial, what is your, what is your, I'm trying to think of the easiest way to ask this, like what is the bound that they're willing to accept as non-inferior, mm. right? So like, Yeah, I don't have those details right, either. And that's, yeah. that's the yeah. hardest thing when mm-hmm. you look at these studies right. is like you can, I could create any non-inferiority trial and, and make it sound equal if I said that I would accept a 50% difference 
if that's what the right. study's power for and it's within that bound, then you can say not inferior even right. if you look at the numbers and it's there's right. a, there's a delta. If so the sometimes are, these can be yeah. gamed depending on But these numbers are are pretty close here. Yeah, um, no, I I'm not saying this study in particular. Just if that's the method you always want to read the method section of these mm -hmm. of the studies. Hospital stays were one day shorter in the laparoscopic arm. Statistically significant. Uh, time to first defecation was shorter in the laparoscopic arm. Uh, rate of sphincter preservation, this was one of the things they highlighted, was uh, higher in the laparoscopic surgery arm, 71% versus 65%. Be interesting to break down the, the tumor subtypes and mm -hmm. kind of... And negative margins was similar between the groups too. Um, and I'm assuming all these patients had standard neoadjuvant treatment, I would imagine. Yeah, they so they if didn't. Um, I, I imagine that they're going to list that, you know, when they publish their data. This was in JAMA Oncology, so they're probably going to publish again when they get the survival data out. Um, probably, you know, can't imagine with these similar rates of complications and um, and it looks like negative margins. Uh, yeah, I don't think there's going to be any There's not going to be really no. a difference there. But it would just be interesting to know was <clears throat> were they the group's balance for yeah, the for treatment. receipt of neoadjuvant chemo. Sure. Or chemo radiation. Yeah, but it shows you that laparoscopic surgeries can be done for cancers like this and with high success probably and lower rates of some complications. So that's... And I think we see that in practice. I mean, I think we see more, like you said, more robotic surgeries now. And Yeah, I think, I mean, most of the people coming out of training now are yeah. more minimally invasive focused than, than the old school ways. All right, last one. Ready for it? Why not? High-risk surgery in older people with dementia. Good idea? Not good idea. Depend. what Depends on what the surgery is for. Is it a life-threatening right. situation? Then yes. You're right. You're right. Is it a high-risk surgery for like an elective hip? Probably not. <laughs> well, this was retrospective. Okay. Published in JAMA Surgery. So, you know. Um, so I don't know. What is the, that? So, you know, it's a surgeon. JAMA generally JAMA is family. A, the JAMA is, family. Is a good reputable The JAMA term. family of networks. Um. Yeah, so studies show high rates of complications and mortality and low probability being discharged home. So that's kind of their summary here. So retrospective study looking at 6,800 U.S. Medicare patients um, who underwent high-risk inpatient surgical procedures. They said 71% of these procedures or surgeries were elective. Do they have a breakdown of what they are? Um no, they don't. But, you know, and, and I, I, I can't get access to JAMA to look at the details. But um, but they just break it down to say patients with dementia compared to those without had similar inpatient in-hospital mortality, but they had higher frequencies of inpatient complications, 90-day mortality, and um, they were less likely to be discharged home. It's also be interesting to know how they define dementia. Was it just based mm -hmm. on? I think they're it looking was, at a Medicare database. Then I think they're just looking for diagnosis. Yeah. Well, yeah, and as we all know, those can be yeah. coded. You know, you can have someone who's like someone end stage told. Alzheimer's yeah. versus like mild cognitive impairment, and then call it they're called dementia, but they're obviously right. not the same right. patient population. Right. Right. 
So yeah, that's yeah. what's hard about these kind of claims data and I see, you know. It'd be nice to who's putting in the diagnosis. Is it actually coming from someone who evaluated them specifically right. for that? I mean, because that's the thing is there's formal neurocognitive testing you can do to actually mm -hmm. make a diagnosis. But I think a lot of people carry sure. around a diagnosis of dementia who have not formally been mm -hmm. actually tested for it. And so it's hard to know. It's going to be hard to tease that out in a study like this. But I mean, just intuitively, it makes sense in the sense that if I was treating a patient with severe dementia and you had an elective procedure that yeah. wasn't going to extend their life or improve their quality of life, why in the world would you do it? Right. Right. I, I mean, I think they're they're looking at, and I don't have all the breakdowns with this, you know, taking dementia just as, you know, and accounting for all other covariates, you know, the all other um, confounding, you know, problems. And they're listing the estimated one-year mortality in the patients with dementia after uh, surgeries that are elective at 33%. I mean, that's I believe that. extremely high. I would believe that, though. So Again, is it for like um, an elective knee? Right. Is it for like a carotid endarterectomy because they're about to like, you know, Have not perfuse their brain? Yeah, like, yeah, you know, I think those yeah. are, you know, one, you would say, okay, maybe you consider the surgery even if the patient has dementia, if that's, you know, what, you know, it's hard. and then yeah, obviously like how many of these patients are, living at home, functioning patients with dementia versus like, yeah, you know, in a long-term mental care or a long-term memory care facility who, you know, then, then you certainly don't want to be doing yeah, tons of stuff on them because you're not helping them. So it's just hard to. Well, I think I, you know, I think about this from our standpoint, medical oncology, radiation oncology. I mean, we do treat patients with dementia, but, but you, we don't administer routinely high intensity chemotherapy or, uh, you know, techniques, probably radiation techniques that would really impact their, um, potential other, uh, medical, you know, conditions that they have that could prove that they're, you know, bed bound after the treatment or, um, incapacitated. Yeah. I mean, that's a, probably another episode we'll have to record someday, but I think this opens up the topic of I think in this country we do a really, really bad job of um, end of life and, you know, expect, uh, expectations around end of life, mm -hmm. you know. Um, I think we shield people in this country from death a lot, like, and that's why you get all these, not the patient, even the patient themselves, but their family or whoever, you know, do this, do that, you know, we don't care. You know, even though, even if the patient somehow did recover miraculously, they already, you know, they're basically, you know, could be, you know, bed bound or, you know, non, non cognitively functioning. And so I think, you know, it's another can of worms that we, you know, mm -hmm. could discuss at another time. But I think this just speaks to sometimes we do all these things. When yeah. It doesn't really, who are we really, who are we really treating? Are we treating ourselves as the physicians or the, or the provider, or are we treating like the, the family but you know that's not our job you know the main right. the person who should be benefiting is the patient yeah so. well i think nowadays because we have more options you know in front of us as providers but understanding that those options are not appropriate for some patients and actually you know guiding the patient and the family that that's not a good idea and that you know this is kind of correct where we transition to a more you know symptom comfort based management right um well that's it rick that's thanks for sharing man those were good those were good topics for you it'll be back next time
other three big topics. Doing three, huh? Yeah, in I threes. Like we'll All do right. it in threes. Get some dad jokes queued in too. Yeah, I wasn't wasn't well prepared today again, Brent. I'm okay. sorry. You're just I'm still sorry. you're still bummed out about losing the long drive title. Yeah. I can see it on your face. <laughs> and I was up late. I was trying to repair my son's glasses last night. He, the screw oh, the screw no. popped out and two hours. I couldn't get it. I couldn't couldn't fix yeah. it. I should have let it go after the first like twenty minutes and then my, my wife could have just brought him into the eyeglass store and got it fixed. Yeah, but. I I'm really bad at, as you might imagine, patience with things like that. Yeah. Like if I can't get it, I know, shocking. You just put it down or you I'm, keep I'm, trying? I'm, no, I'm just like, I'm over it. And then oh, like, usually yeah. Morgan will fix it. Because she has patience. Well, Hethel tried and then she said, can you do it? And and when she said that, I'm like, well, yeah, I can do it. But I couldn't, I couldn't do it. It's so, understandable. And I was up way too late trying to do that. So, but yeah. Thank you all for <laughs> listening to another episode of the Rick and Danny Show. Check us out on our Social media feed, uh, underscore CSNF on Twitter, and then everything else is The Rick and Danny Show. Instagram, Facebook, follow CSNF, the company as well. Brenna posts relatively frequently on there and keeps us up, keeps you guys up to date on everything going on with the company. So we appreciate all your support and, and for listening. Thanks for listening, guys. Oh.